Like we said, today is Palm Sunday and it begins the start of what we call Holy Week. And uh, I want to talk to you about the very first Palm Sunday today. And today my hope is that you will understand some truths about Jesus, some encouraging truths about who Jesus is. But I want to start with a story of uh, something that happened to me over 17 years ago. Um, I was in India with my father and uh, we had gone to visit a ministry, a ministry that we actually support here at Generation Church. It's called Harvest India. They're doing incredible things in India with orphans, with lepers, with widows, and uh, uh, starting new churches. Uh, Just in the last 20 years alone, they've started over 400 new churches in India. It's an amazing organization. Um, And uh, we'd been there uh, doing a few different things. And uh, one of the days, we uh, went for a a trip to visit a remote village in southern India. Uh, And it was a village that... uh, 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 that had a widow's home in there. Now, in India, uh, if somebody, uh, if a wife loses her husband, uh, it, it's devastating for them. Not just the fact that they lose uh, their, their partner and their spouse, but it, the fact that uh, now they, they've gone to a place where where they're, they're probably just going to be living on the poverty line, whether living in poverty, because women in India uh, still don't have the status of women here in the United States. They don't uh, ha- aren't able to get the jobs like men can there, um, and uh, the jobs that they can get uh, are often not enough to support a family. So a woman in India without a husband is truly a widow in distress. Um, and so they have this home where they, they house and they feed uh, uh, these widows. And, and we went to this village, and it's run by a pastor called Pastor Prakash, and a great guy. And just a couple of uh, months before, uh, the village had been devastated by a typhoon that had, had come in, and they were trying to rebuild. Well, we, we, it, it was in a remote area, so we had to go through all these windy country roads. And, and as we got to the village, um, I was amazed because suddenly all the people who lived in this little village came out and welcomed us. They, they, they were shouting and they were almost rejoicing that we had come. And as we drove up in our car, they came around our car. We got out of the car. They were shaking our hands. They were, they, they, they were, they were touching us and they, they, they were hugging us. And they were giving this incredible welcome. Uh, even one guy, I, I needed to use the bathroom. And instead of pointing, there's the bathroom over there, he actually took me by the hand and led me to the bathroom, which I was a little scared at, I'll be honest. And I was like, stay out of the bathroom as I go in. But it was the most amazing, welcoming experience I had ever had in my entire life. I've never been in a place where I felt more welcome. Now, a couple of years before that, I had been on a road trip with my cousins. And the road trip took us from Orlando, Florida all the way to Missouri. And the reason we went on this trip is well, I was living in England at the time and we'd flown into, into Orlando and we got some cheap tickets. And then my sister lived in Missouri, so we decided to rent a car and take a road trip to Missouri. And the road trip took us uh, up through Florida, through Georgia, through Alabama, Mississippi, uh, into a little bit of Tennessee and then into Arkansas and then in Missouri. Uh, and as we're traveling, uh, it's uh, we've gone through Georgia, we've gone through Alabama, we've gone into Mississippi, 
and it's starting to get dark. And we're on our way to Memphis, Mississippi, uh, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And we, we want to stay there the night, but it just got too late. And, and, and so we started looking for a hotel in Mississippi. And, and we got to a city called Tupelo, Mississippi. And some of you may know Tupelo, Mississippi, if you're Elvis Presley fans, because that's where he was born and that's where he came from. So I thought, well, this must be a pretty decent place if Elvis came from here. And so we got off the highway and it was very hard to find a hotel. Well, in the end, we found this little dingy motel called the All-American Motel. And because it was late at night, we're like, let's just stay here and, and you know, and, and that'll be fine. So we pulled into the parking lot. And suddenly as we pulled into the parking lot, there was just a bunch of young people just hanging around by their cars, music blaring. And as we got out of our car, our little rental car, you could just see everyone just looking at us, like, what are they doing here? And then as we got into the motel, into the lobby, well, I say lobby, but it's more like a little room. We went in there, and suddenly the first thing I noticed was uh, behind, uh, uh, the, between the counter and where we were, there were all these bars. And behind the counter, there was a big Confederate flag, and then there was this big shotgun above it. And suddenly I looked at myself, and I looked at my cousins, and I'm like, we do not belong here at all. Felt like I was in an episode of Mississippi Burning or something, but it was kind of crazy. And the guy came out, he was obviously the hotel manager or hotel owner, and he was like, what do you want? And we're like, "Uh, have you got any rooms uh, and he was like, yeah, IDs, please. And so immediately we had to give him our IDs. And he told us the amount. And he gave us the keys. He goes, the room's over there. He didn't even, like, take us and show us. He was like, we felt so unwelcome. We felt we didn't want to, he didn't want us to be there. Well, we, we went back to our car. We got everything out of our car because we feared our car was not, would not be there in the morning. So we got everything out of our car. We went into the hotel. We got all the furniture from uh, 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 the room of the motel. We got all the furniture from the room of the motel. We put it against the door because we thought somebody was going to break in and, you know, and, and rob us in the middle of the night. And so we went to sleep and... And uh, we woke up at the crack of dawn and we got out of there as soon as we can. It was the total opposite experience to that welcome that we felt in India. And you would have thought we're in the south. People are welcoming in the south. Not so much in Tupelo, Mississippi. But what you find here, you've got two different welcomes. And how you welcome people, it tells a story in itself. When you welcome people into your space or into your environment and you are happy to see them, you are showing them that that we want you here, that that we are honoring you when you come. But if people come into your space or in your environment and you give them the cold shoulder or basically you're rude to them, you're basically saying, we don't want you here. And so how you welcome people tells a story. And I wonder this morning, if Jesus was to walk into this room today, totally unannounced, totally unheralded, how we would welcome him. Would we be like the people in the village in India? Or would we be more like the people in Tupelo, Mississippi? How would we welcome Jesus if Jesus walked into this room today? 
So today begins the, the start of Holy Week, and today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is how it all started off. And this week, there's a, a lot of a different events that go on in the Christian calendar. There, there's Maundy Thursday, which celebrates the Passover and the Last Supper, and, uh, and, and Jesus handing out the bread and the wine, and, and, and that was the night he was arrested. And then we see Good Friday, that's the, di- that's the night or the day that Jesus was crucified on a cross. Then we have Easter Saturday where everything was was quiet and Jesus had gone and then Easter Sunday comes and Jesus is resurrected from the dead and next Sunday we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today is where this week starts. And what had happened, Jesus and his disciples had been traveling all over the region of Judea proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus had healed the sick, he had raised the dead, he had poured his last three years into his disciples, teaching them how to live life in the kingdom of God, and now it was time to go to Jerusalem. And for the disciples, they thought that this was probably just going to be a quick trip, going to do what we've done everywhere else, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near, heal some sick, and then move on. But little did they know that this would be the last time that the disciples would see Jesus. Little did they know that Jerusalem would be the place that the church of Jesus would be started and established. And so we pick up this story in Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1. This is what it said. Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, Jesus said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with a colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill what the prophecy said. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your kingdom is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of them and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. John tells us these were palm branches and people were waving them and laying them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowd replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So immediately what we see here, as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey's colt, that there is 
people who are welcoming Jesus. And there are two different welcomes. There's those who, who are singing Jesus' praises. They are laying their garments on the road and branches on the road. And, and they are waving these palm branches and they are declaring, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the Son of David. And they are welcoming Jesus and they are giving Jesus a royal welcome. But then there are others, and John and Luke give a little bit more insight into who these people were. Mainly they were the Pharisees, and suddenly they started to get angry that Jesus was coming into the city. And they started to plot and plan how to take Jesus out and to kill Jesus. And they did not want Jesus. They gave Jesus the cold shoulder. They were looking down on Jesus. See, the Bible says, as Jesus came into Jerusalem, there was uproar in the city. And did you know that Jesus is still causing uproar in the hearts and the lives of people today? Jesus told his disciples at one time, he says, that people will in fact hate you because of me. I mean, not not the most uh, positive thing for somebody to say, but he says, people will hate you because of me. And let me tell you this morning, never feel we are failing in our faith when people hate us for what we believe. Never feel that we are failing in our faith when people hate us for what we believe. This morning, woke up to the news that in Egypt, in a Coptic church in Egypt today, people went in to worship God and worship Jesus Little did they know that somebody had put a bomb under one of the seats and it went off during the service. And I believe 21 people died and lots of people are injured. See, there are people in this world, they will hate you for what you believe because they hate Jesus. And there are many who are threatened by the Christ-filled life. And they will do whatever they can to pour water on the fire within you. And, they may, and, and not everybody's a terrorist. There are others who will just try to pour water on your faith. And that's what the, the Pharisees tried to do on Jesus. They tried to pour water on the fire that Jesus was causing in Jerusalem. But for the sake of today, I don't, want to, I, want, I don't want to focus on those people. I want to focus on the people who welcomed Jesus and rejoiced at Jesus and, and, and discover why did they do this? What was it about Jesus that deserves such special treatment? So this morning, I want to lay out four things about Jesus that every believer we need to understand that will strengthen us in our faith as we go along this journey of faith. And the first thing is this. He is king. Jesus is king. These people gave Jesus the royal treatment because he is royalty. Jesus is king. Now, as Americans, this can be very hard at times for us to understand. Understand about kings and queens and all that because we don't have kings or queens. We have presidents, and whether you like a president or don't like a president, you just know in four years or maybe eight years, it's going to be a new president. And so you are good with that, and, 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 and so, so we don't look at our presidents 
In the same way as people who have a king look at their king. See, now, now we honor our president, and I would hope if our president came in today and our former president or new presidents, they came into this room today, that we would give them honor because their position deserves honor. The Bible talks about praying for the leaders of your nation. And when we start complaining about our leaders more than praying about our leaders, there's an issue there. So we need to be praying for the leaders of our nation but if they came in, we would give them honor, but we still wouldn't look at them as our king. A couple of years ago, what was it? Four, five, six years ago, I can't remember now, but Prince William married his fiance Kate. And being someone who was, is a British citizen, fill me with pride. Because there's something about our royal family that I just, just love. There's things I don't agree with them about. There's lots of things that, that maybe I wouldn't do. But they're still our sovereign as me as a British citizen. And so I remember watching William go down the aisle to go to marry his bride, Kate. And suddenly, I hadn't had this feeling for a long time. There was this immense feeling of pride within me because I looked at him. And suddenly I started realizing that is my future king. That's my future king. And whether I agree with him on issues or not, whether I like him or not, he's still my future king. And there's something about a king that is different to a president or a prime minister or any other official or a governor or a mayor. And this is it. A king is sovereign, meaning his power is absolute. There is no higher than a king. His word is final, and he deserves the highest respect and praise. In fact, the word worship comes from those who in in days of old, they would come and bring their worth to the king. They would come into the throne room where the king sat, and they would come and bring their worth to the king as an act of honor to the king. Now, the king didn't need their worth. The king was probably richer than all of them. But they came as an act of submission and honor to the king. And that is exactly what we do when we come to sing. When we come around the communion table. When we come and pray, when we live holy lives, when we gather as a church to worship on a Sunday morning, we are coming as an act into the throne room of Jesus and bringing our worth as an act of honor and submission to our King, who is King Jesus. Matthew 21, 5 says this. It says, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your King is coming. Your king is coming. Revelation tells us that in the future, Jesus is going to return to this earth. And not like the baby that we celebrate at Christmas, but this time when Jesus returns, he will be returning on a white horse and he will return as king to come and judge the nations. See, Jesus is king. Jesus is your king. Jesus is our king. And he deserves all the praise, all the honor, all the respect, all the worship. Why? Because he is king. The second thing that we see from this story is not just that Jesus is king, but we also find out that Jesus is righteous. Jesus is righteous. 
As, as Matthew wrote about this welcome into Jerusalem, he discovered that this entry was just as a prophet called Zechariah had predicted. Zechariah had lived like five, six hundred years before this event. And he had prophesied of something similar. This is what he said in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. He said, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So Matthew suddenly started realizing that what Zechariah is saying is coming true. And Zechariah is saying, look, your king is coming. Then he said this, he is righteous. Zechariah declared that this king is a righteous king. To be righteous means to be in right relationship with God. Romans 3.10 and Psalm 14.2-3 tells us that there is none righteous in this world. Romans says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not one person who is, has the standard so they can be in right relationship with God. There is a gap between us, which means that none of us are righteous. And so for Zechariah to make this statement, it is a truly breathtaking statement to say that this king is righteous. You see, for us, the word righteous doesn't carry the weight that it did in Zechariah's day. For us, we, we, we can use this word a lot, righteous. But for the ancient Hebrews, they went on this journey in this life, finding ways to be righteous. They did all these spiritual and religious practices and rituals in order to try to be righteous in right relationship with God. And what Zachariah is saying, He's saying Jesus doesn't have to find the way to be righteous. For Jesus is righteous. In fact, more than that, Jesus is the way to righteousness. He is the way to right relationship with God. Last week, we said that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God the Father but through him. He is the way that we are righteous. See, Jesus isn't some prophet or wise religious man who will point us towards enlightenment or healthy living. Jesus is the way, the one that creates the way to righteousness. John 14, 19 tells us, because he, meaning Jesus, lives, we live also. And what Jesus is saying is because he is righteous, then when we follow him, we become righteous in God's eyes as well. Romans 3, 22 confirms this. You know, this last week, I, I saw an article and that, that I read, and it was an article about Lindsay Lohan. Remember Lindsay Lohan? I mean, it's like she fell off the place of off this planet. She went kind of crazy and went off, off the cliff, and now she's trying to climb her way back into the public eye and trying to sort herself out. And the article was about Lindsay Lohan wearing a burkini. You know what those bikinis are? They're like what the Muslim women wear when they go swimming or go to the beach. They're very modest, so you don't like see any skin at all. And she's been wearing a lot of headscarves and stuff. Well, the article talks about how Lindsay Lohan has been studying the Quran. 
And she's been studying the Quran and the Muslim faith because she's been trying to find a place of solace, the article said. And she said that she's trying to find peace within herself. And so she's been studying the Quran, trying to find that out. And I chuckle to myself as I read it because what this world doesn't understand is that in that man who entered Jerusalem that day on a donkey's colt is the one who makes you righteous. And when you experience true righteousness, you never have to spend your days or your life searching for solace or peace. For peace comes in the one who makes us righteous. For Jesus is righteous. So Jesus is king. Jesus is righteous. The third thing that we see this morning is that he is victorious. Jesus is victorious. Zachariah says that he is righteous and victorious. If you have decided to make him, meaning Jesus, Lord of your life, and embraced his sovereignty, then you are a person who now can live in victory, for he is a victorious king. Did you know that Jesus is bigger, stronger, and more powerful than any of your problems, any of your issues, any of your shortages, or any of your diseases? He is the one who overcame death and the grave. He is the one who fought the armies of Hades and hell. He is the one who now holds the keys to sin and death. He is the great healer. He is the mighty warrior. He is the overwhelming provider. He is the toughest security guard. And he is the strongest mountain moving God this universe has ever known. That man who rode on the back of a donkey's colt is the victorious one. And if you serve Jesus today, you can live in victory. Why? Because he is the victorious one. Psalm 24, verses 7 to 10 tells us this. It says, open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord invincible in battle. Open up, O ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory enter. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies, he is the king of glory. The psalmist here is telling us that this king, who is Jesus, he is strong and mighty. He is invincible in battle, meaning he has never been defeated and he never will be defeated. He is the one who leads the armies of heaven And when you have Jesus on your side, days of living a defeated life are behind you, for you serve the victorious one. Amen? You serve the victorious one. And so today you may be living in defeat. You may be finding some things in your life are just overwhelming you and they are defeating you in your life. But you do not have to live that way anymore. For the Bible says that we are to open up the gates, open up the doors and let the victorious one come in. You want to know what the secret to victorious living is? It's opening up the doors to your hearts and your life to Jesus Christ. Start acting like the people of Jerusalem that day when they started shouting and declaring that the king has come. When you wake up in the morning, open up your hearts to him. 
and you'll find that the victorious one will go before you. And very quickly today, we see that Jesus is a king. He is righteous. He is victorious. And finally, he is humble. I think out of all the attributes that Matthew talks about and Zechariah talks about, this is the most unique. This is why kings ride on horses. Kings ride on horses. In ancient Rome, the horse and the chariot spoke of power and influence. If you are an important person, you rode on a horse. Let's go back to the story in Matthew. Jesus told two of his disciples, go to that village. You will find a donkey and a donkey's colt, donkey's baby. Bring them both to me. Then the story goes on that they lay the garments on the donkeys and Jesus sat on the donkey's colt as he rode into Jerusalem. Kings ride on horses. Servants ride on donkeys. Let me ask you, from per, let me tell you, from personal experience, riding on a mule is a humbling experience. There is no way I'm riding on a donkey. Have you seen those things? I mean, just the noise that they make is annoying as it is, but, but they, they are stubborn. They don't want to move at all. But donkeys were the animals of the servants. And what Jesus did that day, he rode not only on a donkey, he didn't ride just on a donkey, but he rode on a donkey's colt. That is no way for a king to enter. Horses speak of power and superiority, not donkeys. And Zechariah tells us that even though he is king and he is righteous and he is the victorious one, it says he is also humble. Do you know what this tells me about Jesus? And I love this about Jesus. The fact that Jesus did not ride on a horse. Because if Jesus rode on a horse, nobody else could have related to him. But this is what I love about Jesus. This tells me that Jesus hasn't just come for the wealthy. Jesus hasn't just come for the talented. Jesus hasn't just come for the perfect. Jesus hasn't just come for the godly. But that Jesus has come for all. Jesus came for you and for me. He says, I have come to serve and not to be served. And riding on a donkey tells us that. See, Jesus isn't too high and mighty to not get his hands dirty. But did you know that Jesus thrives in the dirt and the mess of our lives? For out of the broken, he mends hearts and souls and he makes them perfect. And your life and your heart and your soul, it was broken, it was dirty, it was worn out, it was sinful. And Jesus came and he wasn't too high and mighty to get down in the dirt and start molding and shaping you so that you became a perfect child of the living God. Why? Because Jesus is a humble man who came to serve, not to be served. See, when Jesus comes into your life, our lives are changed. So let me ask you today, as Jesus comes into your life, as you live each and every day, are you welcoming Jesus like the people in that Indian village that day? Or are you treating Jesus a little bit more like the people in Tupelo, Mississippi?
You see that very first Palm Sunday, there were those who became so prideful in their religion that their pride started to blind their view that the King of Heaven was right before them. And so instead of cheering that the king had come and rolling out the royal, uh, the red carpet and giving him the royal treatment, instead they plotted to kill him. But then there were those who saw Jesus exactly as he is. That is a king. That is one who is righteous. That is one who is victorious. And that is one who is humble and has come to serve. The ones who gave Jesus the royal treatment in unison, they shouted out a song that they quoted from Psalm 118 and verse 26. And this is what they said. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And this is my hope for us at Generation Church. Many people call this a house of worship. This little house here on the corner of Old Emerton and Wheel Road. This house of worship. Where this little tribe of Christ followers gather. My hope is that we will shout out in unison from this house. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That Jesus in this house will never get anything but the royal treatment. That each Sunday we will roll out the red carpet for him as we give our Savior and our Lord the royal treatment of worship. So I ask you today, are you opening your hearts and allowing the King of glory to enter? Are you welcoming Jesus in your life or are you giving him the cold shoulder? Let's bow our heads in prayer.